Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. All right, everyone, grab your seats. Get ready. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, get ready. Right now, turn to person number B, you know, the person you didn't quite love quite as much as the first person, and say to them, get ready. Hey, uh, we're kicking off a brand new series this morning uh, called Jesus in the Picture. And this this series is all based around one thought, one idea, which was Jesus' idea, and it comes out of Matthew 28, and it says this, and I will be with you always. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I don't know about you, but that encourages me this morning. Encourages me to remind, for for me to remember that no matter where we go, what we do, what comes against us, what lockdowns happen, don't lockdowns happen, whatever happens anywhere near us, that God is with us always. No matter where we go, no matter what life looks like, what the circumstances might, we might find ourselves or anything else, that God is and always will be with us and will be in our picture. But I don't know about you, but, but if you're anything like me, and I know most of you are, and that's probably not a bad thing, but, but you know, like in the business of life at times, I can so easily find myself forgetting that God's with me. I can so get caught up in, all, in everything else going on that I can lose sight of Jesus in the picture of my life. I can lose sight of, of what God is doing and I can lose sight of his, his, his blessings and His presence in my presence when I'm walking around and doing the things that I'm doing in my life. But in the Gospels, we find time and time again, Jesus breaks into people's pictures. He breaks into people's stories. And, and all of a sudden, they're doing one thing, and, then, and they have an encounter with Jesus, and their lives are forever changed because of that one encounter. And Jesus brings peace to the anxious. He embraces the lonely. He, he sets free the condemned. He brings hope to the downcast. But 2,000 years later, a lot of things have changed. But you know what? A lot of things haven't changed. We can still forget what God is doing and not see what God is doing in our midst, in our stories, in our pictures. So the aim of this series is to remind us to continue to look at what God is doing in our stories, what God is doing in our pictures, what God is doing in our lives. And I'm confident as we do so, as we reorientate our eyes back to him, we will see and experience God do things in our lives like maybe we've never seen him do before. We'll we'll experience God set us free for some things, restore hope, and do different things in our lives that maybe we've just not ever seen him do before. But let me pray. God, I want to thank you. I thank you that you're here through your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you this morning that your job is to stir us and to move us. God, your job is to encounter us this morning. God, we thank you that you're going to do that as we we look into your word this morning. God, as we look into what you are doing in this story, 
God, I pray this morning that you will, you will speak powerfully through this story. God, bring to life this story that we look at this morning. And God, allow through your Holy Spirit, God, allow that story to stir us. God, allow your story, God, to change us. God, allow your story to bring hope again. God, allow your story to bring release again. God, allow your story to just shift us from where we are and one step closer to you. God, as we step one step closer to you, we thank you that you are there, ever present with us. God, that you will always be with us to the very ends of the ages. So God, we thank you for what you're going to do this morning. Bring this life, bring this story to life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we're going to jump into, and I know I generally say this about a lot of Bible stories because they're all my favorites. But but I'm going to say this morning, we're going to look at a story that is one of my favorites because I just don't know how it gets in the Bible. Like it's, it's a scandalous story that doesn't make sense. And you just go, I don't know how it got in there, but it got in there. And yet it is so ridiculously powerful as we look at it this morning. And, and the story is found in John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. And, and each week we're going to kind of have a look at a bit, a bit of a different picture. You know, this story was, most of these, these stories, that we're, all of these stories that we're going to look at have been painted by incredibly gifted uh, painters and artists over the years. And this one was created by Sebastiano Ricci. You say Ricci. Ricci. You just got to, you kind of have like a little Don't turn to the person next to you and go because that's not... Later. Anyway, yeah, all right. So Sebastian Ricci. And it's and it's titled Christ and the Woman Taken in Adultery. And it was painted in 1720. And it was powerful back then, and it's powerful this morning. So we're gonna jump into this story. We're gonna, we're gonna look at this, this crazy, scandalous, powerful story of Jesus encountering someone. And I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of of this woman. Imagine what it must have been like. You're at home and all of a sudden your door gets kicked in and all of a sudden men storm into your room and they break down the door and the sheets are ripped back and you're lying next to someone who's not your husband. In fact, it's someone else's husband. And all of a sudden your feet and your arms are dragged out of the bed and you're dragged out of the door and you're dragged through the dusty, dirty streets and you're naked, you've got no clothes. That's what naked means. And you're dragged through the streets of this town, naked, humiliated for everyone to see. And then it gets worse. All of a sudden, they drag you into the temple and they throw you in the dirt and the dust. They throw you on the ground in front of a religious leader. This guy that kind of you've heard about because everyone else has heard about him too. His name is Jesus. And gathered around him is all of the other religious leaders. And there's a huge crowd of mostly, in fact, all men. You are the only woman there and you are naked. And you are being thrown in the dust in front of Jesus. Imagine that moment. I mean, what feelings are going on inside of you? I mean, they have already decided, these men have already decided that you are so dirty and despicable and sinful that you deserve to be stoned to death. 
And so now you're, you're lying naked trying to cover up in the, in the dirt on the ground in front of Jesus in the temple. And here you are, lying in the dirt, feeling morally dirty and totally and utterly ashamed. And you know that you've broken the law. And you know because you're a Jew that in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they all talk about the consequences of adultery. You know full well what this means. Because all of a sudden, in the midst of it, you you see men begin to pick up rocks. And these men around you, you know what comes next because you've seen it happen to other women that you've known. And you know what comes next. And in that moment, you look at them in the eyes. And you know that you are guilty. And your accusers make sure that everyone else in that room and in that building, in that whole area, knows how dirty you What's flying through your mind? You're dirty, you're dusty on the outside, but you feel even dirtier on the inside. And you begin to ask questions of yourself. You you stand there and you go, you know, how did I find myself? I I mean, how did I get here? How did I find myself in this predicament? How did I get here? And you you recognize, you remember back and you go, you know what? I've been in a place where where I felt a lot of pain and a lot of rejection in life. And you just wish someone would know the deepest longings of your heart, that someone would love you and that someone would accept you. And you just looked around the, the, the crowd of men who, were, who, who looked at yourself with anger and, 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 and in their eyes and you just wish that someone would see you that all you were looking for is that someone would accept you and that someone would love you. And so you'd spent your life up to this point looking for love in all sorts of the wrong places. Because you thought, if, if I can just find, if I can just feel the embrace of someone, then they might possibly choose to love someone like me. And, and, and they might find, accept someone like me. And now you find yourself dirty, naked on the floor of the temple with with a group of men with rocks in their hands looking, jeering at you. And in that moment, whatever hopes you had for your future, you know, the the, the dreams you had as a little girl about one day finding love in the the arms of of a man that they might love you and accept you and they might propose to you and you might have babies together and have have the the house or the white picket fence or that probably didn't happen back then. But you know what I'm kind of going with that? You know, in that moment, all of your futures are dashed. They all now lay in tatters as you lay in tatters on the ground, sprawled out on the dirty ground with tears mixed with dust rolling down your face and staining your cheeks. And you, and you lie there scared of what happens, what's about to happen next, with hatred in the eyes of the men. The jury gathered with rocks ready. And you knew and they knew that the consequences of adultery was to be stoned to death. I just want to establish one thing because this is Logan. The stoning we're talking about is these kind of stones, not the other kind of recreational stoning. Just, just want to establish that's the case, all right? 
And so here, here was the crowd with rocks poised and ready. And then huh, Jesus enters the picture. A man by the name of Jesus enters this picture. And, and, and he realizes, as you realize, or he, you're about to realize, that, that you're not the only one stuck. Because Jesus is stuck as well. You see, by, by law, Jesus was the one that was to make the decision whether, whether you were to be stoned. And, and, but if, you do, if Jesus says, no, 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 don't worry about stoning her, then he breaks all of your Jewish laws and heritage. And you know how, how important that is. And so Jesus is stuck on one hand because if he commits you to death, then sorry, if he doesn't commit you to death, then he breaks all Jewish laws. But if he does on this side, if he does commit you to death, he breaks Roman law because only Romans could, could pronounce someone to be put to death. And Jesus wasn't a Roman. So Jesus is stuck in the middle. If I do, I break the rules. If I do, I break the rules. Jesus is stuck and you're stuck. But the Pharisees, the Pharisees weren't actually concerned about you. They would just want to catch out Jesus. They would just want to, want, to, want to try and make him look bad publicly so they could disgrace him and get rid of him. You see, the reality is you were just collateral damage. No one cared about you. They, the men with the rocks, they certainly didn't care about you. They just wanted you there to get Jesus. And here you are, collateral damage. And then Jesus does something strange. I don't know about you, but if you, if you read the Bible, Jesus does many odd and strange things, doesn't he? I mean, this, this, I don't know if you remember the story, but, you know, Jesus, a, a man comes to Jesus and he's blind. And he says, please, sir, can you, make me, can, you, can you make me see? And so Jesus does something strange. He goes, and he spits in the ground, and he makes a little mud pie, and then sticks it on the guy's eyes. Now, that's strange. Come on, I don't care who you are, what country you're from. Like, that is strange, yeah? I mean, like, what would you do if, Jesus, if someone walked up to you and go, oh, I've got an issue, and, you just, and they spat on the ground and then just rubbed it on your sore arm or whatever? Like, you, there's no part of that that makes any kind of sense. You know, there's, there's other stories throughout the Gospels, you know, where, where Jesus is, has a crowd of, they, they suggest somewhere between 15,000 15, to 20,000 people. And, 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 and the disciples come and go, Jesus, they're all hungry. Like it's late afternoon. And Jesus does something strange. He pinches a little kid's lunchbox. Actually, he didn't pinch it. The, little, the kid gave him his lunchbox. And, the, and, and Jesus gets this kid's lunchbox. Like he's a little kid. Opens his lunchbox and goes, oh yeah, that'll do. And then starts breaking up, handed out to people. And then everyone has food. And then they collect up 12 baskets full of leftovers from one little kid's lunchbox. Like, I don't know about you, but that doesn't make sense. I mean, I could do with that at my house at the moment. I've got two teenage kids and one kid who's quickly catching up. And come dinner time, like, all I want to do is eat anything and everything. Like, right now, I want to get Jesus' power and the little kid's lunchbox and see if we can make that happen every single day at, at dinner time. But Jesus does something strange here. And see, for us, it seems pretty strange. For the lady, it seemed really strange. And it seems really strange because the lady and us don't know the end of the story. 
See, I feel like God's wanting to say to someone here this morning, what you feel like you're going through might seem strange and, and, and not like what you thought was going to happen. But he simply wants to say to you this morning, that's okay because I know the end of the story and you don't. How many times do we tap out too early because we just don't know the end of the story? And we go, God, this doesn't make sense. And God, I don't understand how that's going to happen. What's what's that got to do with anything to do with this? And then God goes, just just wait. Just wait. Because the end of the story is yet to come. So here's this lady. And she, Jesus does something strange. And this is what he does. He begins to bend over and start writing in the dirt. I mean, that makes total sense, doesn't it? I mean, you've, you, you know, you got, everyone's got rocks, everyone's angry, and everyone wants to stone this lady with rocks. And you decide that it's time to play noughts and crosses. That makes total sense. I mean, they just go, oh, of course. You know, and, 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 and you know what? You know, the, you, know what? you know how the Bible explains it? It doesn't. It just says he bends over and starts writing stuff in the ground. And, and from that moment till now, everyone's been speculating and guessing and going, what did he actually, what has that got to do with anything? And, and, and I was just reading different commentaries during the week and going, okay, God, show me some different things. Show me some different perspectives. And what were you actually doing? I mean, you know, this lady's life is on the line and you want to play noughts and crosses. I don't quite get what that's got to do with each other. I mean, was Jesus doing it to try and buy time? I mean... Had he not heard what they were going to say? One, 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 one scholar suggested that Jesus hadn't heard or that Jesus chose not to hear, hear because he, what he wanted the, 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 the religious leaders to do was to repeat what they said. And hopefully as they said it, they would realize the gravity and the wickedness of what they were suggesting about a harmless lady who had simply sinned. And so they suggested that Jesus would do this at a hope that he would give them a second chance to realize how bad an idea that was and to change their perspective. Maybe he was stalling. I mean, maybe he was confused. I mean, there's so much conjecture around why he did and what he did in that moment. And one of, one of the historians, uh, Sir John Seeley, said this, Jesus was seized with an intolerable sense of shame. He couldn't look at the crowd in the eyes. He stooped down to hide his face as he saw the leering and lustful look on the guys' faces and the cruelty in their eyes, all combining to twist the very heart of Jesus in agony and pity. And so he hid his Verse 7, it goes on to say this. Finally, finally he responds. And he responds with, a, with one of the well-known statements. And it says this. Let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. And then he goes back to his doing odd things. He goes back to, to trying to beat himself in noughts and crosses. And everyone just stands there. And they're now looking at the woman, and they're now looking at Jesus with, 
now maybe a greater sense of confusion, but also a greater sense of conviction as they've just heard this, this religious guy, they've heard all things about all sorts of story, make the statement, well, anyone who is without sin, then you be the first one to throw a stone. And in the moment, I don't know how this works, but, but in my head, it's in that moment that they, they look down at what Jesus has been doing. And they stop and there's an eerie silence that breaks over the crowd. And they, and they begin to look and they begin to read at, at what we guess was Jesus was writing. And then all of a sudden, the, the grip of the rocks that were in the hands begin to loosen as they, they, the gravity of what Jesus sinks from the heads to the hearts. And they look at what Jesus has been writing and then all of a sudden, one by one, the rocks begin to drop in the crowd. And one by one, it says in verse 9, at this, those who heard began to walk away one at a time, the older ones first, until Jesus was left standing with a woman there. The crowd of religious leaders with rocks in their hands, disgusted at the figure of this dirty and sinful woman, are now And maybe, maybe you this morning can relate to this woman. You know, because as I've been milling over this during the week and reading this time after time, I, I realize that I can. See, not, not, it might not mean that we're laying on the floor naked, you know, in the, in the ground, like, naked in the dust, and then, but surrounded by a bunch of people who want to stone us to death. But we feel the same emotions that she felt. That we feel dirty. We feel ashamed. We've been looking for love in, in different places, trying desperately to, to find someone who would, who would love us and receive us and accept us. Maybe you can relate because, you see, we all have an accuser. But this accuser doesn't wear a robe with a, with a big beard and, and long hair and with a rock in his hand. But we all have an accuser nonetheless. And the Bible calls him the devil. And in Revelation chapter 12, it says this, the accuser, the one who accuses them before God day and night, day and night, hour by, by hour, minute by minute. The devil stands before God accusing you. And he points a gnarly finger at, at her. And he points a gnarly finger at me. And he points a gnarly finger at you. And he stands before God and goes, look what they've done. Look at the guilt and the shame that they carry. Look at their past. You know, you, could, you know what they deserve? You know what they deserve because they've sinned and they've blown it and they've made mistakes. And he points his... Nally finger at the widow, uh, sorry, the adulterer. And he says this stupid, dishonest, selfish, 
greedy, lustful woman. And the more he talks, the the more the charges keep piling more and more and more. And the worst part is that he's not wrong. And neither were the scribes and the Pharisees. She was guilty. She did commit adultery. She did break the rules. She did break the laws of the day. She did break it and she did blow it. But I suggest something to you this morning. So have I. And so have you. See, we have all blown it. We have all sinned. We still have the same accuser who's pointing his gnarly finger at us. But then in a moment, then in a moment, she sits on the, cr- on the ground, surrounded now by dust and, and rocks and just Jesus. And there's one last common suggestion that, that theologians suggest and guess at what Jesus was doing as he was drawing and doodling on the ground that particular day. And it's this, that as Jesus steps away from what he's been writing on the ground... He reveals a list of sins of everyone who's been standing there and what they had done. See, no doubt in a crowd like that, there would have been other men who had slept with her as well. You know, no doubt in a crowd like that, there would have been other people who had, you know, other guys who had friends who had done that. And they just didn't want to say anything because they didn't kind of want to cause a bit of an issue or a ruckus. And so they turned a blind eye at what their friends had done to her. And so Jesus steps away and there's a big long list of different people's sins and the junks and the mistakes that they've made. And there's no one there except for Jesus and her. It's scattered amongst the rocks and the dust and the dirt. Is just Jesus and you. And Jesus steps into her picture and he changes everything. See, ironically, when Jesus said, let no one who, who's ever sinned throw the first stone, he narrows it down to one person. One person who is and can only be the one that has the potential to be the executioner. One. And that is God in flesh. Jesus was the only one qualified to pass judgment that day. He was the only one that had the right to pick up a rock and throw. But what did Jesus, what did Jesus do? Verse 10, we find him say this. And he says these famous words to this lady. Woman, where are they? And I can imagine in that moment where she's standing there still trying to cover everything up. We're still with tears streaming down her face mixed with dirt and dust. And <coughs> still faced with the feeling dirty on the outside as she's equally dirty on the inside. And I don't know how it was, but I can imagine her at that moment not wanting to look eye to eye with Jesus. Because she knows what he can do. And yet, she kind of awkwardly shifts, moving a bit of sand with her feet, feeling an immense amount of shame and guilt and dirty. 
And she says this. No one, sir. She said. And into her story, into her picture, Jesus stands. And he says these words. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. I love, I love that little word declare. He declares. You know what? Neither do I. I'm the only one that has authority and power because I am sinless and blameless. I have the power to be the judge. And yet, neither do I condemn you, Jesus declares. Now go and live your life of sin. See, what a, what a, what a beautiful statement. And yet, you know, you know, you can look at it and go, well, it looks like Jesus kind of let her get away with everything. No, 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 read that last few verses again. Jesus said, go leave your life of sin. You see, Jesus is bigger on grace than he is on sin. See, Jesus recognized our sin and paid the price for our sin. And in return, forever, will always and always offer grace. And so he stands there. And Jesus addresses her sin and gives her dignity. Jesus steps into a picture and he gives her hope and gives her grace and gives her a future and gives her another chance and gives and extends grace. You see, here she was looking for love and acceptance in all the wrong places. And yet in that moment, she found ultimate love. And in that moment, she found ultimate acceptance in Jesus. See, church, I just want to talk to us all really quickly and clearly. And I want us to dare to dream together this morning. What would, what would our community, you know, what, what, we're, what we're looking and sitting in this morning, but not just this, what would our community outside the walls of this church in fact, what would our city look like if we lived like Jesus lived? If we did what Jesus did? You know what I mean? What would it look like if that was the heartbeat of every single one of us? If that was us? So rather than throwing stones, we offered a hand up. What would it look like if we loved, accepted, what would it look like if we offered grace like Jesus offers grace? See, what saddens me is too many people outside of the church know what the church is against rather than what it's for. <laughs> See, everyone knew what Jesus was for, didn't they? He, everyone knew what Jesus was for, and that was for people broken, lost, messed up, jacked up like me and like you. What would it look like? If we let the love of Jesus so define our lives and our church. That, that we would be more concerned about sharing the good news and sharing grace and loving people with where they're at rather than where we think they should be. What about if we let that be the thing that unites us? Rather than our opinion on vaccines, end times or a football team. You know, what would our community what would our city look like? What would a city look like if we stopped playing church and be the church? 
What would our our church, what would our city look like if broken, hurting, lost people who have made mistakes could walk into a place like this and rather than we point an accusing finger or held held at a rock, we just simply stand with arms open wide and we trust and we go, God, I'm going to let you deal with their stuff and God, I'm going to love people and let you fix them rather than me trying to point out how broken and messed up they are. You know what I love, church? I love that someone so loved me in a church that rather than pointing out how messed up and jacked up and screwed up I was, they simply just loved me. They simply just accepted me. Where I was looking for love in all sorts of the wrong places, they just chose to love me. Church, I want to say something really strongly. If we're going to be the church that does this, it's going to get messy and awkward. But that day, things got really messy and things got really awkward, yeah? I mean, it got so awkward that Jesus is hanging out with this lady by himself at that point. I mean, that's awkward. She's got no clothes. Like, it's just awkward everywhere, okay? But that day, one life is changed. We don't know what happened to her and what she did. But I can guarantee that her life was radically and forever changed because of that one encounter with Jesus. See, it's going to get messy and it's going to get awkward. But I think the price is worth it. And you know why? Because you are worth it. Because you're here because someone did that to you. And you are, and, and our neighbors and our friends and our work colleagues and the people that, we, that are complete strangers to us, they need to hear that good news as well. You know, we need to live lives of radical inclusivity and extend radical grace just like Jesus did. But I know that it's not going to be easy. Because I still remember the day three years ago before us starting this church. God's been working on me since that moment. And God's been doing a a thing in me since that moment. And I I remember the moment because it wasn't long before we started the church. We're in the middle of worship. And... And we're in the middle of worship and everyone's singing and, you know, there's, there's enthusiasm and gusto and everything else. And I remember, remember in the middle of worship, I just get this impression from God in my heart. It says this, Dave, I want you to realize that the words you say in worship, I take seriously. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, yep, cool. And then the slides guy changed the screen. And we were singing a, we were singing a song called Hosanna. And there's a... There's a line in that song that still messes me up today. And it says this. It's, it's the line in the song, and I've just forgotten the line in the song. Wait for it. It's the line in the song, and it says this, Break my heart with what breaks yours. And I remember standing there, and God goes, I want you to know that what, what you say in worship I take seriously. And I'm like, yeah, okay, cool, no worries. And then those words popped on the screen, and I stopped. Because I had to realize, you know what? God, do I really mean that? God, break me with what breaks you. 
God, break my heart with what breaks your heart. And God, if you're sitting there telling me that what, you, what I say in worship you take seriously, that what I'm about to sing, you're about to take seriously. To be honest, I need to be honest, I let that one go through to the keeper for the first time around and I didn't sing it. Then as the worship teams do, they kind of repeat stuff. <laughs> Possibly it was God. Possibly it was them. And then we got back to that line. And I just felt that little voice again. Dave, what you sing in worship, I take seriously. And I remember that moment going, okay, God, I'm going to, I'm going to sing it nervous, but I'm going to try and get the words out. And I remember singing, God, break my heart with what breaks yours. Don't you hate it when God takes you at your word? Because then I opened my eyes, and standing next to me was a guy I know. And, and, and he's, he's, you know those people in your life, I let's call them the EGRs, the extra grace required people. <laughs> if you don't know what that is. Maybe one. No, 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 I'm joking. And so I'm standing there, and I love the guy, but he can be a little bit annoying. Like, Eddie probably looks at me and goes, Dave, well, you're a lot annoying. So, you know, come over. And, and I remember sitting there going, and he looks at me, and he does something stupid. And I so easily was going to cause offense. And I remember the words that I just sung, God, break my heart with what breaks yours. And I chose to put my arm around him and sing the rest of that song together. Church, I say that because since then, God has done so much in our church. He's actually done far more in me. The times where I would have been the first one to pick a rock up, I'm choosing to try and put the rock down. The times where I could easily cause offense or like, and, and this is highlighted, been highlighted recently. I was talking to a friend that I've known for many years, but I haven't seen for, for quite a few years, basically since we started this church. And he looks at me and goes, you know, he's asking what's happening in church. And so I was telling him and he goes, Dave, you've changed. I go, what do you mean? He goes, man, you're not the same guy I knew those years ago. I go, what do you mean? He goes, you're weird. <laughs> I'm like... Well, you know, that's, that's it. It's true, friends. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, man, sounds like you've got a church full of all sorts. And I said, how I so do. And he goes, what's wrong with you, man? I go, I remember saying, God brought those words back of that song. God, break my heart with what breaks yours. I said to him, I said, man, it's not my fault. It's God's because I sang a song and I didn't want to sing the song, but I reluctantly sang the song and God's done something in me as, I, as he took my, my words seriously. And he said, Dave, I want, you, I want to break your heart with what breaks yours. Church, I say that because you know what my prayer is for every single one of you? That God will break your heart for what breaks his heart. And as our hearts break together, and you don't look at me again crying. I don't cry normally. You know this, but I somehow managed to do this in church, all right? <laughs> that maybe, maybe moments like this, I won't be the only one crying. <laughs> because God will stir something in you. Church is going to get awkward, and it's going to get messy, but you know what? It's so worth it, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, look at the person next to you. They're weird. 
and quirky, possibly an EGR. Extra grace required person. I've had the I've had such a privilege. I've had such a privilege over these last couple of weeks. I'm just gonna look this way. A couple of the last couple of weeks I've had the privilege of catching up coffee with a couple of people who've become really, really significant and special in my life, and yet who have stepped foot in this church for the very first time. And they've gone through a lot in their life and they've made a lot of mistakes and they've, there's a lot of challenges that they're facing right now, right now and yet they've come into this place and they've, they've felt like they can be accepted and loved. They've looked for love in all sorts of different wrong places and yet <laughs> they've come and they're on a journey of discovering what all of this is about and yet they're like, there's something different, there's something going on here. Church... I wonder if I hadn't have said that day, God, break my heart with what breaks yours. I may not have had the privilege of meeting these people, of having them stir me and challenge me and grow me and mold me. And I'm sitting with them and I'm like, I just love hearing their stories. You see, it's really easy to judge people when we don't know the story. But then you know their story and you hear the rest of it, and they go, you know what, the fact that you're like vertical is a high five to you. Like the fact that you're, you're still functioning, that's amazing. You know, I, I loved being able to this week drop some groceries into a family in a church. They've been coming to church for two weeks. They're going through so many challenges. I love the fact that this is their church home. And as a church home, we're able to do something really practical and go, here's a gift from us just to help you through this next little bit. And there'll be more that follows. See, churches, I've I've had the privilege of hearing people's stories. I've discovered that I've begun to judge less. I love the fact that our church community is full of people from all different walks. And yet they come here. Jesus steps into this lady's picture. And her life is forever changed. How are we going to do this, church? How are we going to love our community? How are we going to be like Jesus? Well, Matthew chapter 7 gives us a little bit of the answer to that. Matthew chapter 7, and I'll finish in just a moment, uh, says this. Do not judge, for you too will be judged. For uh, For the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, while all the time there's a plank in your own eye? How do we do it? As I said, it's a privilege hearing the stories of what people have been through. It's a privilege being able to sit and listen to what what God is doing. How are we going to do it? Suggest that 
what we need to do is we just need to love. Point less fingers and stand with arms open wide more often. See, getting back to the words that Jesus wrote in the dust or what we speculate Jesus wrote in the dust one day. Max Licardo writes this, and I probably wasn't written, but I so wish it was written. Max Licardo writes this. Within a few moments, the courtyard was empty. Jesus and the woman and her critics, they've all left. But let's linger. Let's, let's look at the rocks on the ground, abandoned and unused. And look at the scribbling in the dust. It's the words that, it's, it's the word, it's the only sermon Jesus ever wrote. Even though we don't know the words, I'm wondering if, the, if it read like this, grace happened Jesus walked into a picture and he changed everything. And I want to suggest this morning that he's still walking into pictures and he's still changing lives today. That he still can do it. If he did it back then, he still wants to do it today. And that we are indeed simply trophies of God's grace. The grace that God offers for every single one of us. Jesus stepped up out of the dirt and he wants to step into your picture today. But sometime later, there was another person who was thrown into the dirt once again, sprawled out on the ground in all of the dust, covered in the dirt and the dust, but also covered in blood. It wasn't, a, it wasn't the woman this time, it was Jesus. And the accusations were flying left, right and center of what he did and what was said and what... He spoke about. But this time, not the accusations weren't about what he had done, but they were about what we had done and what we do. But this time, someone did die. Not because of his mistakes, but because of my mistakes and, and your mistakes. And in that moment, Jesus chose to give it all. He chose to, to sacrifice, to give it all for you and for me, to be ultimate substitute so that we wouldn't have to die and spend eternity in hell, but we could spend an eternity in Him. That He wouldn't see us in light of our mistakes, but He would see us through the lens of His Son, forgiven, perfect. So this morning... As you came in, you would have collected one of these, but we also did run out, and so we do have backups at the back. So if you haven't got community, if you could just quickly shoot up your hand for a sec, and the team, welcome team, are going to hand those out to you. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to remember the sacrifice. As the awkward ripping of little communion things happen, Invite the team just to sing over us a song. Invite you this morning to remember the sacrifice Jesus lovingly gave. To, to listen to the words and let that minister to us this morning.
to remember everything we've spoken about, everything we've read and everything we've heard this morning. And in that moment, remember what Jesus did. His body broken, beaten, torn, ripped for us. His blood that was spilt the whole way up to Calvary. The blood that would be his side that would be pierced, the nails that would be driven into his body. All in the ultimate act of love. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.